This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue in our studies in the book of Romans today, and we're going to be studying in Romans chapter 8. Back in Romans chapter 7, we saw the wretched condition of a person who is outside of Christ. Salvation could not and cannot be found in any religion other than true Christianity. Romans 7.25 gave God's answer for men's sin problem, and that is Jesus Christ. The verse states, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with flesh the law of sin. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 8, we're going to see the happy condition of a person that is in Christ, just the very opposite of what we saw in Romans chapter 7. In verses 1 through 18, we're going to see the victory over the bondage of sin found only in Christ, and that victory is declared in verses 1 through 18. First of all, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. <clears throat> the word therefore takes us back to the end of chapter 7. Again, whenever you see the words wherefore, for, or therefore, look and see what they're there for because they're referring to something that has previously been stated. In Romans 7, 24 and 25, Paul wrote, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. The word now refers to the gospel era. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, back in Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Robertson's word picture says concerning that verse, quote, As sinners we deserve condemnation in our unregenerate state in spite of the struggle. But God offers pardon to those in Christ Jesus. The word in there is translated from the Greek word en, E-N, and Strong's divide, or, excuse me, defines that word as a primary preposition donating fixed position in place, time, or state. So the only position, the fixed position where there is now no condemnation is 
for those who are in Christ. And baptism is the only way to get into Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Romans 6, 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And then Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.27 states, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is the baptism is the only scriptural given way for an individual to get into Christ. And therefore in Romans 8.1 to have no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we also see from Ephesians 1.3 that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Again, the only place that all spiritual blessings are found is in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we must be faithful to him. Now, reading the last part of Romans 8, 1, it says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You see, we no longer obey our fleshly lusts but we obey what the Holy Spirit has commanded through the Word of God. In 1 John 1, 7, 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. You see, we find two different laws there that Paul is talking about in Romans 8 verse 2. There's the one that gives life and the other that gives death. Romans 8 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life refers to the truth. John 8, 32, Jesus said, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The law of sin and death refers to the laws under which the world lived prior to the gospel system, that being the Mosaic law and the patriarchal law. Breaking either of those laws, patriarchal or the law of Moses, was sin and brought condemnation. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, what we're looking at there is that breaking either one of those laws, it was sin just like breaking the law we're under today is, but those laws could only bring condemnation. We have the gift of Jesus Christ. The Spirit gives life through the gospel. 
In John 6, 63, Jesus made this comment. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The word quickeneth there means to give life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So the word of God is spirit and life. Law is weak through the flesh because people yield to sin. And that's found in Romans 8.3. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. You see, law <clears throat> law could not save. In Galatians 2.16, Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Again, the definition for justified, just as if I'd never sinned, the law of Moses and the patriarchal law as well could not have that happen. They could not justify anyone. And God sent his son in the flesh to accomplish what law could not do. When you look in Hebrews 2, we're going to read verses 14 through 17. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Well, let's just add an example here that human flesh is not inherently sinful, as Calvinism teaches. If it was, then Jesus would have been sinful. But we find here that Jesus, instead of coming in the nature of angels, in the spiritual way angels are, it says he took on him the seed of Abraham. In other words, he became human. He was born a human being, and he lived as a human being. And that is how he can be, uh, that's how he was made like to his brethren. He was made like us. And he is our merciful and faithful high priest. And he makes reconciliation. He makes us friends again with God. And he does that through the forgiveness of our sins when we are obedient to God's plan for our salvation. In Hebrews 4.15, we see that sinful flesh 
refers to the fact that Jesus was fully human and subject to all temptations just as we are. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Well, someone may say, yeah, but you know, there were no cars then. Jesus couldn't be tempted to speed or run stop signs or stoplights and things such as that. That's, we're getting too specific there. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus condemned sin in the flesh at the cross. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that. Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. So in the shedding of Jesus' blood is where that we find remission. In 1 Peter 2.24, 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead unto sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So Jesus bear our sins in his body on the cross, because we were dead in sin. But because of his blood, his death, his perfect sacrifice, we can live unto righteousness. And it just says by his stripes we were healed. You know, the stripes didn't come on the cross. The stripes came in the scourging. And you need to read about that scourging. You'll see everything that Jesus went through for us even before he went to the cross. In Romans chapter 8, verse 4, <clears throat> we see that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled by the gospel. Romans 8, 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You see, the law required perfect obedience, and only Christ accomplished that. Those who obey the gospel no longer live according to the lust of their flesh, but after the obedience of their spirit. Now you go back to Romans chapter 6, and we look down there, after, you know, talks about baptism, and get down to verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So whenever we are baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, that is whenever we are <clears throat> walk in newness of life. No longer living according to the lust of the flesh, but obedience of, their, of the Spirit. And again, the Spirit here, the word Spirit is capitalized by the translators. But the word spirit here in this verse would refer to the, our, the human spirit, our spirit, where it says that we walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, walking after our spirit there. 
In Romans 7, 22 and 23, I want to look at uh, explain that this way. Romans 7, 22 and 23. Paul says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's the spirit. But I see another law in my members. That's the flesh. Warring against the law of my mind, against my spirit, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, my flesh. You see, the gospel controls our spirit if we allow it to. And our spirit controls our flesh. Now we're going to see several times in this chapter where the spirit refers to the human spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Well, there are two manners of life contrasted in Romans 8.5. Romans 8.5 says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. And again, this is another instance where we are not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about our spirit. Our spirit that controls our flesh. Now some allow their body to control their spirit and they do the works of the flesh. Now I want to look at Galatians 5:19 through 21 and I want to read the literal translation of this verse or these verses. Galatians 5:19 to 21 from the literal translation. It says now the works of the flesh are clearly revealed which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lustfulness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, fightings, jealousies, angers, rivalries, divisions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and things like these, of the which I tell you beforehand, excuse me, as I've also said before, that the ones practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, it's called the works of the flesh. The works of our flesh are controlling. Our flesh is controlling our spirit instead of our spirit controlling our flesh. You know, others desire to obey God's will in their lives and have their spirit controlled by the gospel and their spirit then controls the deeds of their bodies. In Galatians 5:22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit, that would be the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The difference then is between being fleshly minded and being spiritually minded. In Romans chapter 8 verse 6, Romans 8 6 states this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnally minded is fleshly minded. The works of the flesh brings death. 
spiritually minded is our spirit following the gospel and that brings life and peace. In James 4 verses 7 through 10, we see that as long as a person devotes himself to satisfying his fleshly desire, he cannot be subject to God, cannot be spiritually minded. Again, James 4, 7 through 10. It reads, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You see, we cannot satisfy our fleshly desires and say that we are subject to God. If we're going to be subject to God, we're going to satisfy God's desires for us in our lives. To be subject to God, a person must have a change in mind. That's called repentance. Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19 states this, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. We have to have a change in mind. Our spirit has to control our bodies according to the will of God in order for us to be repentant. And those who are spiritually minded exercise their mind over their body and have life in peace. In Titus chapter 1 verse 2, Titus 1 chapter 1 verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Eternal life, that is life and peace whenever our spirit controls our fleshly desires, controls our body, and our spirit and our flesh then are obeying the commands of God. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul wrote, Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious, the American Standard Version says. We might say, don't worry. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can have that peace of mind if we will allow ourselves to be subject to God and lay everything on his shoulders. When we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we find that the mind of the flesh hates God. Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind, that's the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. It is an enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The fleshly, if we allow our flesh to control our mind, then we are an enemy of God. 
and we are not subject to God's laws and we cannot be until we repent. In James 4, 4, James says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Being a friend of the world, living after the fleshly desires. And uh, going along with those that do. The word enmity again, the Greek word ekthra, Strong says means hostility by implication, a reason for opposition. So the fleshly mind does not subject itself to God's law. The word subject there, the Greek word hypostaso, Strong defines as to subordinate reflexively to obey. So the fleshly mind is helpless to obey God unless it repents. And the reason is it is helpless. It is because it is in the bondage of sin, a slave of sin. In Romans 8, 8, we see that those that live their lives according to the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 8 says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. To live in the flesh means to walk after the flesh, the fleshly lust, the works of the flesh, as we read in Galatians 5:19 and following. And God and his law cannot be separated. You know, you hear those that say, well, we want the man and not the plan. You can't have that because you cannot have the lawgiver Christ and reject his law, the gospel. You have to have both. If you reject one, you have rejected both. In Romans 8, 9, we see that God's will moves and molds us to righteous living. Romans 8, 9. He says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Well, we see that the first word spirit there refers to the human spirit because it is contrasted with the human flesh. The second word spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. And this verse gives the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us, but it does not tell us the way that he indwells us. God the Father indwells the Christian. 1 John 4.15 1 John 4.15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Christ indwells the Christian. Colossians 1.27 states that. Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian. Romans 8.9 But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. 
Now, it does not prove the whole Godhead dwells in us bodily, personally, and directly. In Ephesians 3.17 tells us that Christ dwells in us by faith, but faith comes by hearing the word of God. You know, Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the man that does not have the Spirit of Christ, or the Holy Spirit, refuses to be moved and molded by God's word. In Romans 8.10, we find that when a person belongs to Christ, he has put to death the deeds of the body. Romans 8.10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Again, this is the human spirit. We're looking at the human spirit. You're contrasting the body and your spirit. Christ is in us, again, through faith, as we saw in Ephesians 3.17. I will reread that verse that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye be rooted and grounded in love. So if Christ is in us, the sinful flesh is dead because we have devoted ourselves to following the gospel, Romans 6.6. 6. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. So that sinful flesh is dead, and we should not resurrect it. So once again, we're looking at the human spirit. Contrast the flesh and the spirit of a person. Galatians 5, 4. We see, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Our spirit crucifies the flesh, our flesh, with those affections and lusts. Brother Robert Taylor made this comment, and I quote, Because one belongs to Christ, he has put to death the deeds of the body, his lower nature, and in his higher nature, the inner man, he is actively and zealously engaged in righteousness or right living. Unquote. So Christ's resurrection then guarantees our resurrection. We see that in Romans 8, 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says there, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So Paul, you'll notice here, shall also quicken. That is in the future tense. The Romans who were reading this had already been raised to walk in newness of life when they obeyed the gospel. Paul is discussing the bodily resurrection of 
Christ and the resurrection of our bodies on the last day. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Acts 17, 31 says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he had given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12, we find that we owe no debt to the flesh to live after the flesh. And that would be talking about worldliness, sensuality, things such as that. Romans eight twelve. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We are debtors to teach others the gospel. That's one way we're a debtor. Romans 1, 14 and 15. Romans 1, 14 and 15, Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as, as much as is, as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So we're debtors to teach others the gospel. And in Romans 8, 13, we see the different outcomes of allowing our flesh to dominate or our spirit to dominate. Romans 8, 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So again, this is the human spirit. To say that this verse is talking about the Holy Spirit would be to say that the Holy Spirit directly influences us. It would be our spirit there. If we live after our flesh, we will die. But if we live after what our spirit is to be doing, mortifying the deeds of the body, our spirit is what puts to death the deeds of the body whenever we are immersed in water for the remission of sins. As we saw that over in Romans 6, 1 through 6. Romans, yeah, 6, 1 through 6. And if we do put the deeds of the body to death, then we'll live. Galatians 6, verses 7 and the first part of verse 8 says there that allowing our flesh to dominate our lives leads to eternal punishment. Romans 6, 7, first part of verse 8. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That's that allowing our flesh to control our body. But allowing our spirit that is controlled by the gospel to dominate our lives leads to eternal life. And that's the last part there of Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know, if we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us through his word, we are children of God. And that's Romans 8, 14. That verse says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So that's again talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us through the Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, 
1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You know, if the Holy Spirit leads us directly and not through his word, there would be no need for the Bible. But we need the Bible because we are led by the word of God. And God calls us by the gospel, which is his only power unto salvation. Called by the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, wherefore or whereunto, he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Romans 16, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2, we find that when we obey the gospel, we become children of God. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are, are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, the Christian's true relationship with God we find in Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Well, here, where it says the spirit of adoption, it's not the human spirit or the Holy Spirit. It's the feeling of a slave or the feeling of adoption. The feeling of a slave would be bondage to fear, but the spirit of adoption, that feeling of adoption by God. In Romans 8.15, and this is the American Standard Version, and it does not capitalize the word spirit. It says, For ye have received not the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption is the attitude or mindset of adoption, not the Holy Spirit. Whenever you look at the word translated spirit, it's translated from the Greek word pneuma. And pneuma, according to Strong's, has several different meanings. And I'm going to give you his definition. It could mean a current of air, breath, blast, or a breeze. By analogy or figuratively, a spirit that is human, the rational soul. By implication, vital principle, mental disposition, etc., or superhuman, as an angel, demon, or divine. God 
Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The definition that fits what we are reading here in Romans 8.15 is that mental disposition of adoption by God. Brother Robert Taylor made this comment, again I quote, to a Roman, adoption meant that a person was deeply wanted as a family member, was entitled to an inheritance, enjoyed the same civil status as did the adopter, but also became, as it were, his other self, one with him, unquote. And then it mentions the term Abba Father, Abba is an Aramaic term meaning father, and father is the Greek term for father. So this is the personal relationship that we have with God. He is our father, father. Now in Romans 8.16, we find that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits, not to our spirits. And again, I'm going to read that again. I'm going to put the emphasis where it should be. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits, not to our spirits. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Again, that's with, not to. The Holy Spirit tells us how to serve God, and he tells us that through the word, through the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You could input the word words there, spiritual things with spiritual words. So the Holy Spirit tells us how to serve God through the word of God. Now it mentions there that the Holy Spirit beareth witness the Holy Spirit himself is a witness and our spirit is a witness of our manner of life as to sonship. In 2 Corinthians 13, 1, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul said, this is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So our sonship with God is established by two witnesses, the Holy Spirit and our spirit. When Romans 8, 17, we are heirs with Christ if we are faithful children of God. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. Now you'll notice that we are heirs of God. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Galatians 4, 6 and 7, 
we see there, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So we're not servants. We're heirs of God because of the adoption that he has given us through our obedience to his plan. But there is a condition. Did you notice the condition? We must suffer with him here if we are going to be glorified with him eternally. There in the middle of verse 17 of Romans 8, it says, If so be that we suffer with him. In 2 Timothy 3.12, 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If we're not suffering persecution, maybe there's some things that we need to change. Whatever suffering we go through, though, is worth it. Romans 8.18 makes that clear. Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Whatever suffering we go through, it's worth it. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, we find there is no comparison between the suffering we go through and the glory that is coming. It says there, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, Paul talks about light affliction. You read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We find everything that Paul went through there. All of the beatings and all of the shipwrecks and everything that he went through, all of those things, and he says it is just a light affliction. In 2 Timothy 2.12, we find there, and again, Paul's in a Roman prison about to be executed whenever he wrote the second letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. In Revelation 2.10, Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. You may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Even suffering death is just a light affliction. In Revelation 3.21, John there recorded, 
To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in his throne. Jesus making that promise. In Hebrews 10, 35 to 39. Hebrews 10, 35 to 39. The writer there says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which you have, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet for a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition or destruction, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So, here in this part of Romans 8, and we're going to draw a conclusion here to this part. Lord willing, we'll start there at that part next time. Our victory over sin is found only in Christ. And so far in Romans 8, we have seen the battle that is between our flesh and our spirit. And we must allow our spirit, guided by the word of God, to overcome the sinful desires of our flesh. If we have obeyed the gospel, we are children of God. And we have a great personal relationship with God as we've seen in Romans 8 so far. So we need to act. We need to live like children of God and not submit ourselves again to the desires of the flesh. We must allow our spirit to control our body. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today and Lord willing, we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.